Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. Well, as mentioned, we're starting a brand new teaching series on Sunday mornings here at Coastline, and we're entitling it Countering Culture, Courage to Go Against the Culture. It's a series through the first six chapters of the book of what? Anyone know what book we're in? Daniel, you're still awake? That's good. Two minutes in. Well, the book of Daniel really is radical. And we're going to take a look at the entirety of this book, but in the two portions. The two portions that I would say in which it's presented. It's about the prophet Daniel and his friends, chapters 1 through 6. And the prophecies of Daniel. You see that in chapter 7 on through the end of the book. And in this first series, as we navigate the first six chapters of this book, we will consider Daniel and others, Shadrach, Meshach, and you know this, as our friend Fidel Gomez would say, one bad amigo, right? Abendigo. Well, we'll consider how he and how they lived. And what do you mean how they lived? How they truly lived a life that was surrendered unto God, listen, in a very strange world. They were in a place called Babylon, but they lived surrendered to God. And this is what I would say. Our goal is not to counter culture. Our goal is to live a surrendered life unto God. But here's what I would say. As you live a surrendered life unto God, this world will continually grow stranger and stranger to you. And by definition, just following Jesus with no agenda other than that, you will find yourself counter to the culture that's around you. That's what we'll see in the book of Daniel. We live surrendered. Let me share a New Testament scripture with you that I think paints this point so beautifully. Peter writes this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why are we all these things? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your souls. That, to me, screams surrender. Well, what about Romans 12, where Paul would write this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That, that's the kind He'll find acceptable. This is the way to, truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is always a bummer. No, that's not what it says. Which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's will, I love that description. 
pleasing, perfect. Anyone looking for a life that's got some kind of adjective that would describe it in that way? Walking in the will of God. How do I do that? Well, it's there in black and white. Surrendered unto him. You're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim in this world. This isn't where all you're laying all your eggs in a basket. That's to come. And those who have been saved by God from our sin are given new, new, new life and purpose and meaning. Our lives are not our own. We've surrendered them over to Jesus. Our values, how we define success, where we spend our time, how we prioritize. Listen, Jesus either changes everything or he's changed nothing for you. Now, that's how it works. Life with Jesus is not just about believing a, a syllogistic phrase, one, two, three, now I've got my ticket into heaven. No. Jesus would often say, follow me. This is what I'm calling you into. A life where you're following me. And Jesus changes everything bit by bit, day by day, year by year, where values begin to change, priorities. And the more we spend time with Jesus, the more we surrender to him. And things that used to be so normal to us and even attractional to us, they start to become strange and odd, and they lose their tactileness to us, their, their stickiness. And like Peter encouraged those early believers, here's what I would say. We are temporary residents, foreigners in a strange land. And in this series, these first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we're going to learn and glean together how Daniel surrendered his life over to God in a strange world. But he didn't retreat from the world. He lived a godly life in the world and had a great impact for the kingdom of God in the world Living surrendered, countering culture. Now, next week, we'll have these uh, little scripture reminders that we're going to share with you that I, that I hope will be just a simple reminder of the truth that we'll be considering over these next few weeks together. But for today, we're going to give kind of an overview of Daniel chapter 1. And I'm just going to share very simply kind of four life lessons, four takeaway truths that I hope and pray are helpful in the journey that you're on with the Lord as we're following Jesus, surrendering to him, and living in a way that's truly countering culture. That's our game plan for today. Does that sound good? Daniel chapter 1. If you would, open up your Bibles, your devices by which to access the Scriptures, Let me begin reading. I'll just begin with the first two verses. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, kind of a thought-for-thought translation, and we'll make some points. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord, listen to that, verse 2. The Lord, who, pop quiz, who's, who's the subject here? The The Lord. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. 
If you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know how important these objects of worship were. The line of Judah, if you know the story of Abraham and Moses and how long it has taken for the Jewish people to develop as a nation. And you open up Daniel and you read, now the Lord gave victory to a foreign pagan king over his people. Wow, what is up with this? Well, here's our first takeaway truth, our first life lesson that I'll share. And it's, I'd put it this way. Life can be working out naturally, but God is always working supernaturally. Life can be working out very naturally, but God is always working supernaturally. You say, what do you mean by that? Let's get the setting of what's happening in this text. The Babylonians attack the city of Jerusalem. They murder, kill, plunder, destroy, and take the people of God into captivity. This happened, as, as Daniel records for us here, during the reign of Jehoiakim, the 17th king of Judah, the oldest son of one of the greatest kings, Josiah. And Jeremiah, the prophet, had warned Jehoiakim about this invasion of Babylon. Now, God, you know, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28, chapter 29, had made a covenant with Israel before they entered the land that their obedience would bring blessing and disobedience would bring discipline to correct and conform them into his way so that they could be blessed. But if they continued to disobey, he would use the invasion of a pagan nation to conquer them, bring them under their authority, even remove them from their land of promise. Only when they repented from their sin, turned to God in faith, and obeyed him, would they be restored. That's kind of the context of what's happening here. And over time, the people of God, Israel, well, they became divided. History tells us that there was two different nations that formed, a northern kingdom that eventually fell in the year 722 B.C., to the Assyrians. And this is interesting. If you, you know, ever wonder where in the world did the Samaritans come up in the New Testament, they sure do seem to be an important people group in the New Testament. You never really hear about them in the Old Testament. Well, many of those who remained in that region became known as the Samaritans. That's who they were. And then the southern kingdom known as Judah, mentioned here in verse 2 of Daniel 1, here's the deal. They ignored God's covenant, neglected the Sabbath, neglected the sabbatical year, lived an idolatrous lifestyle. And so what happened? God stayed faithful to his word. He chose Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument to bring correction, discipline, judgment. And that kingdom fell in 586 B.C. And this would have been seen. Listen, this would have been seen as the end. Utter and complete defeat. Now, some of our connect groups are walking through the book of Daniel alongside what we're doing on Sunday mornings through sort of a sermon-based connect group. And one of the great resources we seek to make available to those groups is a little, like life application commentary, um, written by uh, WW, the worldwide, no, 
Warren Wearsby. And Warren Wearsby says this. I'd like to read it to you. He says, the fall of Jerusalem looked like the triumph of the pagan gods over the true God of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, listen to what happened. He burned the temple of God and even took the sacred furnishings and put them into the temple of his own God in Babylon. It was actually a victory for the Lord, though. He kept his covenant with Israel. He fulfilled his promises. In fact, the same God who raised up the Babylonians to defeat Judah later raised up the Medes and Persians to conquer Babylon. The Lord also ordained that a pagan ruler decree that the Jews could return to their land and rebuild the temple. I love how he quotes this old famous missionary, Pearson. History is his story. So here's what I want you to catch. There are two sides to history, at least. The simple facts, secular history, and at the same time, what God is doing, biblical theology. Verse 2, it says, the Lord, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. On the one hand, man is very active in history. On the other hand, so is God. There's two sides. There's the facts, the when, the how, the what, the where, and then there's the faith. Why? God is the orchestra director. Nebuchadnezzar is a pawn on the board. Let me, let me say this again. Life can be working out naturally, but God is always working supernaturally. Things can happen in life that seem unexpected. Anyone agree with that? Difficult? Bewildering? One author put it this way. God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes he is behind. God's ways are truly behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes he's behind. Why would God let the bad guys attack the good guys? I think Daniel might have said the same thing as Paul the Apostle. Do you remember this from Philippians 1.12? The things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What about Joseph in the Old Testament regarding his... Remember, he was sold into slavery. How many for you, that would make a great Tuesday for you? No. Sold into slavery. Brought into captivity. 13 years of being lost forgotten, seemingly taking a step forward. Oh, God's moving. And then 13 steps back, it seems like. And then this is something Joe would say near the end of his life. As for you, speaking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God's ways are behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he's behind. And that's what's happening here in Daniel chapter 1, and listen, I really do believe this genuinely. That's what's happening here. God is working behind the scenes. Trust Him. Trust Him. Life can be working out naturally, but God is, it rhymes with malways. What is the word? It, God is always working supernaturally. And today... Your A, B, C's, and D's will either evidence that you believe that or that you don't. Your attitude, your beliefs, your choices, your decisions. 
That's where faith is evidenced. I either believe that God is working supernaturally with my attitude. What do you mean your attitude? Did you know that there's a, a verse in the Old Testament and it goes like this? This is the day that the Lord has made. If Starbucks is hot, I will rejoice. And this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. There's an, a sense of volition attached to the attitude there. A choice. Life can be working out naturally, and it will. But God is always working supernaturally. Church, one of the reasons we come together as believers on a Sunday morning is to encourage one another with these truths. These aren't meant to be things that we just hear in a sermon like data download. Okay, we need the constant encouragement of one another around the truth of the Word of God. Fellowship is so important for your development as a follower of Jesus. You're not meant, and you've heard me say this so many times, but it, I don't have a better illustration, so if you can come up with one, let me know. But you're not meant to be Han Solo in your Christianity, navigating with just some strange pet through the Christian life, right? It's not you. You're meant to be a part of a community. And this truth is true, but you need one another to help walk in those paths. Life can be working out naturally, but God, what is it, church? He's always working. Good. 32 of you have got it. All right, here we go. Here's the next point. We'll go ahead and put it up on the screen, and it kind of comes from verses 3 through verse 7. Here it is. I would say this. The world is vying for our conformity. Look at verse 3. Then the king ordered Hashpanaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and their other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Here's what he said. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Only Matt Mortons qualify for this, basically, is what he's saying. I'm just teasing. If you know Matt Morton, it's just a joke. But he said... Make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and in the literature of Babylon. Well, then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his, from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. And then we're given the names of some of these individuals. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. The world is, is vying for our conformity. We live in a world that has standards and ideals, priorities and desires that constantly seem to either intentionally or unintentionally conform us. That's why Peter says, let me read it to you again, for you are a chosen people. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. 
As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he's called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires that wage against your very souls. See, it was that way in Babylon also. And they kind of took the cream of the crop of the captives, brainwashed them, and put them into the service of the king's palace. And if you'll track with me for just a moment, this is what I would say. That is still very much the M.O. of the enemy's design with his use of culture. What do you mean by that? I think it's a four-pronged approach that you often see. And it kind of goes like this. It's still very effective today. See, first, these guys were isolated, isolated from their homeland, from their family, from their worship of their God. And secondarily, they were indoctrinated. Everything they learned growing up would be challenged. They sought to brainwash these young men, steep them in literature that would challenge their worldview. Everything they learned growing up as young boys would be challenged by a pagan worldview. And archaeology shows us that they would have been trained or educated in divination. You say, what is divination? Fortune-telling. The Babylonians believed in omens. They were superstitious. They believed that there were terrestrial as well as celestial signs, and when those things happened, they were either good or bad omens. Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Albuquerque says this, this is basically a three-year graduate course to make them forget everything they had learned growing up and supplant that with new ideas. It's not terribly unlike what Christian college students find on many secular university campuses. He says, I've always found it interesting, and I've experienced it. While teachers who are paid to teach English or chemistry or biology go out of their way to undermine the belief system of some of the young people in their class, targeting them, zeroing in, trying to dismantle everything they've learned. Isolation, indoctrination, and third, Concession. Concession. What do you mean? Make things so amazing that they would never want to go back to Judah. What do you mean? They are given food fit for the king. I mean, verse 5 tells us that their daily provisions and, and the wine, it came from the king's kitchen. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar brought in the best caterers with the finest menu, a royal menu, food fit for the king, and it was given to them. Why? So they'd go, this is a heck of a lot better than falafel. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's the dynamic. Hummus has got nothing on this. I mean, their impression of Babylon as a young teenager would be like, wow, this is, our God promised this and promised that, and we've been struggling, and look at their gods. Look what they can provide. Babylon at this time had walls 300 feet high, 85 feet thick, and 56 miles long. The Euphrates River ran through it. In the middle of the city where there were the hanging gardens of Babylon, this was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, tier upon tier of lush greenery. This would have led many to say, man, I, okay, I concede. <laughs> Proof's in the pudding. Look at how good it is over here. We're being, being treated like royalty. And by that, besides, God didn't protect us. He didn't come through. Maybe it's not real. Maybe everything we learned was just myth. 
isolation, indoctrination, this concession, and finally, confusion, confusion, confusion. What do you mean? They changed their names. Daniel, his name means God is my judge, to Belteshazzar, bow, protect his life. Hananiah, beloved of the Lord, to Shadrach, meaning command of Aku, who's the moon god. Mishael, who is like God, to Meshach, who is as Aku. And Azariah, the Lord is my help, to Abednego, servant of Nebo or Nego. This is ultimately what the world is after. What? To have us forsake who we are for something so much less. Who are you? I read this to First Peter. I've read it twice because I'm hoping that it sticks. You are a chosen people. You're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. That's who you are in Christ. But the world would love to conform you into its own image, to have us forsake who we are. Jesus put it best. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Life is lived best in surrender to the one who created you. Amen. I feel like that's just logical. Like, like if you want it to work best, talk to the one who designed it, who formed it, who fashioned it, who developed it. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to people around. Talk to this one. He wrote a book. Like, talk to the designer about what the design for your life should look like. Get, get to know him. Someone once asked me, how can I know my calling? I said, I don't know, but maybe the best thing would be to do is just to get better, get to know the one who called you. Like, if you just get to know your caller, maybe you'll better know your calling. I think that is your calling, is to know him. And the details begin to kind of settle as they may. Because things happen naturally, but God is always working supernaturally. And I think you just need to know this. I hope you're aware of this. The world is vying for your conformity. So many pressures to isolate, indoctrinate, brings a sense of concession and confusion. Because the world wants our conformity. But look at verses 8 through 16. Here's our third takeaway truth. The Lord, he's after our commitment. I really do believe that. Look at verses 8 through 16 in Daniel chapter 1. Let me read them to you. I'm just kind of taking a simple truth from these next few verses about the pathway for the Lord is commitment. Look at verse 8. But Daniel, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So what did he do? Well, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Well, why would they be unacceptable? Let's, let's keep reading. Well, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. And Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days. 
on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of those 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Daniel and his friends, they just say committed to what the Lord had for him. Daniel made a choice. And this choice that Daniel made really did lend itself into a formation of the man that Daniel became. One author puts it this way, and I'll put it up for you up on the screen. All of life is filled with crises and decisions. There are right decisions and wrong decisions. I don't know if you knew that after kindergarten, that not every decision was right, you know, like high roads and low roads. Almost every day there will be a fork in the road. And where you are today, in many ways, is due to the turn in the road that you took yesterday. Decisions matter. The fork in the road that Daniel took was not to go along with the crowd, to, to be distinct, not to defile himself. And there are things in life that can defile you. Daniel drew the line with food. You know this from their Jewish background. To live a kosher diet was a way in which they lived sanctified unto God. But some might say, what's the big deal? It's just you four boys. Who's going to know? Who's going to know? Daniel wasn't looking for an excuse. Daniel had a purpose. It's been said before that an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. And Daniel made an inward commitment to be distinct. You know, like Proverbs 4 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. He made a decision. What was it like? Did the decision, was it informed by like a, a cloud in the sky, a liver shiver, like just some sense, I think God's leading me this way? It was kind of just led by this. God said, don't do it. So I'm not going to do it. It was that simple. Is that simple? I think the question would be, are there things in life that you are constantly presented with that could bring defilement into your life that you know from black and white and sometimes red you're called to step away from? You're, you're called to be distinct. You're called to make a decision. It can be the stuff you read, the shows you stream, the community you allow yourself to be with. See, I think it's simple. I think Daniel realized God is still with me right here in Babylon. And when I have this sense in life, I'll put it this way, and you'll have to forgive me. I, I have six children, so I try to always try. How can I make this memorable, a truth or a statement or something? It's simple. As I live with an awareness of his thereness, it helps guide my decisions. God's with me. I have this awareness of his there. He's there with me everywhere I go. And so the decisions, there is an audience I'm living unto. Even if there's no one around, I could say, oh, he's not eating kosher. The Lord knows. He sees. I can trust him. 
Proverbs 5 says, The ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. Hebrews 4 says, All things are naked and open to the eyes of him. Listen to what this says. To whom we must give an account. That's the guy that matters. The awareness of his thereness helps guide, inform, and fashion the decisions we make. One author says this, how can God's people resist the pressures that can squeeze them into the conformity of, with the world? According to Romans 12, conformers are people whose lives are controlled by pressure from without, but transformers are people whose lives are controlled from a power from within. Daniel and his three friends were transformers. Instead of being changed, they did the changing. God used them to transform the minds of powerful rulers and to bring great glory to his name in a pagan land. They faced a problem. What'd they do? Man, they were surrendered unto the Lord. Second thing they did was they were tactful in their communication to their authority. Sometimes it's good just to be wise, you know? Like Daniel didn't just come guns a-blazing, I can't be eating this, I can't be doing it. He just kind of like kind of slowly gave a proposition to the one over him and let the Lord be the one who brought the blessing. Uh, let me just share this with you. This is from, again, Wearsby, for those who will be in those sermon-based groups. He says this, when it comes to solving the problems of life, we must ask God for the courage to face the problem humbly and honestly, the wisdom to understand it, the strength to do what he tells us to do, and the faith to trust him to do the rest. Our motive must be the glory of God, not finding a way of escape. The question isn't how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? The Lord used his private test to prepare Daniel and his friends for the public tests that they would face in years to come. The best thing about this experience wasn't that they were delivered from compromise, as wonderful as that was, but that they were developed in character. I love that, that this was just a small test. You've, you, how many of you guys have actually heard of the book of Daniel before today? You ever heard about the lion's den, like the fiery furnace? Like bigger tests are coming for these boys. But in this simple little test, their perception wasn't, God, how do I get out of this? But God, what do you want to do in this? Because you never know what's coming for you. So the best thing to do today is to obey right where you are, even if it seems like a small thing. Because God is developing your character. See, commitment brings enrichment. Obedience brings blessing. Integrity can bring superior quality to your character of your life. Remember, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come to give life. And I love that, how it says in verses 15 and 16, the proof was in the pudding, right? After that, the attendant fed them only vegetables. And God's enrichment, if I can put it this way, it followed their commitment in that scenario. Now, let's wrap this up. I want to be sensitive to your time. I know the old phrase that a, a mind can only endure what the seat can handle. Um, so we're in this series of countering culture, courage to go against the culture. So far, we've seen at least three life lessons, I would say, that maybe you remember this. Hopefully, you're still with me, that life can be working out naturally, but God is, do you remember? always working supernaturally. The world, what is the world doing? The world is vying for our conformity, yes. 
And the Lord wants our commitment, right? Well, here's fourth and finally, here's what I would say. When we do our part, God always does his part. What do you mean by that? Verse 17 through 21. Look at verse 17 through 21, and this is where we'll end. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. And whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, listen to what this says. He found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. God does his part. What do you mean by that? 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this scenario, with Daniel and his three friends, these guys just simply did what God required of them. Did God owe them anything for that? Was it like, well, if I do this, I know God will... No, 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 not, not that kind of theological construct, but this mindset that when you do follow the Lord, you're positioning yourself in a place where God can bless if he so chooses. These guys did their part. And what happened? God is the one who brought favor. It's not like they twisted the arm of God by their obedience. Well, we did this and we did that. And now God, no, no, no. They lived surrendered unto God. They just did what God told them to do. And what did God do out of his grace and out of his mercy? Well, it says that God gave these men an unusual aptitude, meaning this doesn't always happen. After three years of graduate school, Daniel's probably 20 years old about now, God's favor and grace is upon them. And here's what we see. We see three powerful results. There was a tremendous reverence when Daniel stepped into the room. By those who were around, look, there's Daniel. Something different about that guy. He actually believes through his choices, through his decisions, through the community he surrounds himself with, even with his attitude, that God is who he says he is. I mean, maybe you, I think maybe you would agree with this. You don't have to lift your hand. Wouldn't you say those people are rare? Like when you encounter someone like that and you go, I think that guy really, I think Christianity is real because of that guy. Because look at his attitude, beliefs, choices, and decisions, and the things that he allows himself to be entertained by, his friend groups, his goals, his habits, his interests, the things he'll actually laugh at with a joke. It's real to him. And uh, it's like Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he even makes his enemies to be at peace with him. There was a sense of, like, respect for these four captives. And then there was preference. Not only was there reverence, but there's preference. What happened to them? They went to the top of the class. And then influence. What do you mean? 
for 70 years. You see how that closed there in that chapter? He remained in the royal service. How long is that? 70 years. Daniel has influence through the reign of four kings. <laughs> kings come and go. But there's consistent Daniel with a place of influence. You know, Daniel and his friends lived in a strange world, the world of Babylon, but they lived a surrendered life. Instead of being conformed, they were simply committed to the Lord. Perhaps you've read of the, uh, the famous author Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He once said this, one act of obedience is better than listening to a hundred sermons. And that's these guys. Like they knew enough to know that, hey, when we're in this tight spot, this is what God would require of us. See, having purpose inside of you will help keep the pressures outside of you from controlling you. He, they just lived in, in the audience of God. There was an awareness of his thereness. And that kind of commitment brought enrichment. That kind of obedience brought blessing. That kind of integrity brought quality to their life. And what I would say as we close this morning is that it's a great opportunity for you and I as we read through the book of Daniel, as we walk through these chapters over the next few weeks with kind of this mindset of, man, these guys shook up the, the world they were in. They were countering culture. I don't think that was their goal. Their goal was just to walk with God. But here's what happens with those men and, and women who choose to walk with God. It seems like they begin to subvert the culture. And God's Spirit begins doing things that only God's Spirit could do. Like you read in Daniel chapter 1, they, they were given like 10 times, and there's this blessing that's there, and for 70 years there's this influence in a very godless situation. And I really do believe that God is gracious to you. He has given you another day of life. Don't waste it. Your life has purpose and meaning for, for so much more than just gaining and acquiring and experiencing. And, uh, you know, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever looked at a map or if you've ever heard me or my father or someone else share this simple illustration about what brings life to life, that the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee and the land of Israel where both have inflows but only one has outflow and that's where life is in the Sea of Galilee. You know, as a person, you're resourced so that you can resource others, not to be a reservoir. Those that are resourced, who live like reservoirs, become the Dead Sea. A little salty, a little bitter, a little like a porcupine, a lot of great points, but no one wants to be around you. Like, <laughs> you're, you're blessed to be a blessing. You've been given life to help others in life. You've been gifted and called and resourced and equipped with talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. To let them go. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you're called to live by faith, not by fear. And you can disguise fear in kind of a shell of wise living sometimes. There's balance in that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But the, I think, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I think the purpose of life is to live. I think that's the purpose of it, and to live by faith. Amen. And that what Daniel did here 
is he lived his life by faith in a tight spot, tough situation. He simply followed God without any expectations upon God. He knew why he was there. Hey, we disobeyed God. <laughs> we deserve this. I'm still going to trust him because he's good, because he's worthy. And here's the gracious thing about God. God didn't owe this to Daniel, but he blessed him. God, God gave him this sense of reverence amongst his, I guess you'd call him his peers, this place of preference and influence. And should, if God choose, he can do the same with you, wherever you are. But that's not the goal. The goal is to be with him. And that's where you find life's sweet joy, in being with him. And so as we walk through this series, I just would encourage you in a fresh way to realize the goodness of God, that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he loves you so much that he gave his son to pay your debt of sin, that he's given you his Holy Spirit to walk with you. He's given you the word of God to correct and confirm what you sense the spirit of God might be calling you to do in your life. He's given you the, the church and the community of God to walk with. And he's given you a purpose to be one who's a disciple who's discipling others. Just helping other people follow Jesus. That's simply what it means. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.